You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. It's good to be in church tonight. Good to be in the house of the Lord. And good to see each and every one of you. I decided tonight that since you get to sit down, that I'll sit down as well. Is that, is that okay? No, no uh, objections there. <coughs> and uh, we're doing well. Amen. Turn to somebody and say, I am well. Now turn to somebody else and try to convince them and say, I am well. I'm very well. Amen. Amen. We are praying for all those that are sick. And we are praying, uh, especially for Sister Blake. Let's remember Sister Blake and Sister Sherry Fireball as well. And uh, God will give them strength. So keep them hydrated and everything. And so the Lord be with them. I guess we've had uh, about maybe... Uh, 25 people, uh, maybe somewhere in there, 25 people over the last three weeks that have confirmed uh, COVID, uh, which has been the most that we've had at one time throughout this entire pandemic. And so I thank the Lord that for most of us, God has brought us through that and everybody's doing well. And so we thank God for that. Sister Martha, it's good to see you. You got to bring Matt home from the hospital. And uh, we thank God for that and uh, rejoice in that. So uh, it is uh, a weird sort of set uh, of grouping of people, I guess. It doesn't seem like it's a group that necessarily, I guess we all hang out together in church, but that necessarily is together. And with Thanksgiving, it sort of just seemed like it hit from everywhere. And uh, so can't explain all of that, but I know there's other churches around that are dealing with that as well. So, but we're going forward in Jesus name. Everybody said, amen. 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 So, uh, how many saw the Genesis commentary outside? Have we talked about that? Okay. The Genesis commentary. I know we've been, we had been talking about this. Um, there is a three, I only have the first volume here with me tonight. But a three-volume set, it is at the desk. I believe, I don't know how much it is if you buy all three of them individually on Amazon. You can purchase them there. But if you buy them all together here, it's only $20, so it's a discount. And uh, this is an excellent resource. It's not something just to maybe, maybe you would want to sit down and read, but it's super, uh, super easy and accessible. And I'll sort of hold, hold this up here, and it'll give the Scripture verse in a bold letter, and then a little bit of commentary. It has, by intention, no footnotes, no endnotes. It is not written to uh, sort of present itself academically, but to be very accessible. So anybody can pick this up and uh, just read through some things. And the thing that I really appreciate about this is he will give different um, perspectives or viewpoints at times. He'll sort of share what he thinks and sometimes how he came to that. But uh, overall, it's just a good handle of the Word of God. It is not exhaustive by any measure, but this is just a great resource. So if you are interested in what we have been covering, I highly encourage this. And I asked how many to be interested, and there was a few people that were interested. So I think we bought about 25 sets, and they're back there. If you want to pick one up before they go out, $20, you can put a check 
or uh, just put something in an online general offering and you can you can mark it there what it to go for or anything like that. So uh, I hope this will be a blessing to you. A good Christmas gift maybe too uh, at a good time as well. So I uh, my wife told me that I needed not to be melancholy tonight. <clears throat> and she said I needed to be really encouraging. So... I, I, I don't know. I want to be as encouraging as I can. And uh, But thank you for being here tonight in the house of the Lord. And uh, we are going to get through this. And uh, <coughs> I don't know how much I'm going to be able to sit down tonight, but we are going to get through this. And I do want I do want you to be encouraged. Turn to somebody and say, be encouraged. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. Because with sickness and everything else, there does seem sometimes just to be a heaviness. But God is so good. I didn't come to talk about that tonight, but can I just pause and say God is so good. And we are so blessed. I am so blessed. Wife and I were sitting around the table just, I think it was yesterday. I can't remember. All my days run together, but just talking about how so blessed, how much how much God has blessed us in our life, how much that we have. And I don't just want to take it for granted because God has been so good to me. And I know he's been good to you as well. Amen. 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 Well, maybe I need to say it again. God is so good. Amen. Amen. Felt good. I don't know how it felt out here, but I was back in my office while we were worshiping and and it just felt good hearing the praises of God and the presence of the Lord here tonight. Sunday's going to be a great, um, a great time. How many enjoyed, for those of you that were here, there was like a few of us, but how many tuned in and caught the Go Tell It on the Mountain Sunday School Series? Anybody else catch that? That was such a blessing. If you missed that... Um, I almost said, stop what you're doing and go watch it right now, but don't do that right now. Cue it up. Wait till after church. Uh, Go tell it on the mountain. Sister Dawn's testimony was so inspiring, and I'm looking forward to this Sunday as well. So it's going to be a great time. And then we got the children's program. It's going to be a great thing. Let's get into the word of the Lord. (coughs) And I want to go to Genesis chapter number four. Genesis chapter number four, Genesis chapter number four, and uh, we're going to look at our origin series. We're going back to our origin series. I think tonight makes this part 13, and we're walking through uh, Genesis chapters one through 11, and we are looking at uh, uh, chapters one through 11 are so critical, and I I wrestle with this because as a teacher, as as a pastor, I want you, I want to be able to relay the information. I want to be able to give you the tools that you need. But at the same time, uh, I don't want to be boring and draw something out. And this series, I don't even know when we started this series. I think it was six months ago or something like that. And so here we are on the 13th installment of this, and we're only at chapter four. But this is so important. And you've heard me say this before, that it doesn't matter how fast you read the Bible, but that you're reading the Bible. That's the important thing. 
And so it doesn't matter how fast we go through this, but that we do walk through this, that we do get through this. Now, in Genesis chapters 1 through 11, we have, and I don't want to highlight, I don't want to try to exalt one part of Scripture over another part of Scripture, but in Genesis chapters 1 through 11, we have the most foundational parts of Scripture given to us. We have the first mentions of a lot of things. We're going to jump into that here in chapter 4. And in these chapters, these are probably the most contested chapters of all of Scripture, with the exception, probably equally contested, is also the birth, the events surrounding the nativity, let's say, because uh, as you've heard me say, there was no more supernatural concentration, uh, angelic appearances, miracles, and, and prophecies that were fulfilled. Then at the time of the nativity, that is contested, largely contested. Sadly, there are churches today that don't even believe in the virgin birth. They excuse that away. Um, that is a very, very basic, plain understanding prophecy from the Old Testament. And then, of course, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is greatly contested. People cannot deny the reality that he existed because of so many historical proofs. And so the way they get around that is they say, well, Jesus existed, and he was just a great teacher, a rabbi, a prophet, but he didn't really rise from the dead. Although uh, the apostle testifies and said not only did he rise from the dead, but there were 500 witnesses of him at one time that saw him. And as I preach Sunday morning, we have a sure word. The argument that Luke and Peter say is that the early church was full of eyewitnesses. They said, no, we saw him. We actually saw him. And so Genesis chapters 1 through 11 are largely targeted. And what I want to try to relay as pastor to you is that you don't have to hang your head, that you don't have to be ashamed, that you don't have to be afraid when you tell somebody you believe the Word of God and they laugh it off. They laugh off creation. They laugh off a lot of things that are... They laugh off the concept that there might have been a global flood, that there might have been certain things, and they just dismiss that. I am here to tell you not only should we put our faith in the Word of God and look at what the Word of God says and we believe the Word of God, but that there are more. If you are just approaching the text as a rational, logical human being, there are more testimonies and witnesses that the Word of God is true than there are ever any contests or questions on things that didn't exist. One of the things I love about Pastor Steve Waldron is his his real goal in ministry is not to uh, try to be so academic or impress anybody, but just to relay the simple truths of the Word of God. And he uh, he, you've heard me talk about the Premier Study Bible. Uh, this is a personal friend of mine. Uh, he was the managing editor editor for the Premier Study Bible, which I love. Uh, but he also has a YouTube channel, New Life Albany, where he has thousands upon thousands of videos. He has millions of views on YouTube now. And uh, he started this just a few years ago. And if he ever watches this, it's pretty hilarious because 
It, he does not have, it is a rather humble setup, if I could say, Brother Waldron. Uh, he is sitting at his kitchen table, and he started out, I think somebody just had an old video camera, praise God. Now I think somebody bought him a new video camera. It's a little bit better quality. But he's just sitting there at his kitchen table. It's not any fancy setup. And he's just talking about different things and Bibles and all of that kind of stuff. Thousands of thousands of videos and, and millions of viewership now. But he also has a very interesting podcast. And his podcast, uh, I listen to it, uh, is every day. It's about a two to five, two to th three, usually minute podcast, sometimes five minute podcast. And it is titled... Biblical Archaeology Today, Biblical Archaeology Today. And every day, he simply shares an archaeological find that reinforces the, real, or the, the, the accuracy of Scripture. And he started this, I think, last year, and here he is. I don't even know on how many things he has now. But literally hundreds of, of facts, and that's all it is one day. One a day, he's trying to give you a little fact of why you should believe the Bible. So why am I taking time with this on Wednesday night to talk to you about this? Because, <coughs> and I really feel burdened with this, and I preached about it Sunday morning, Peter said, I, if I was going to pass away, and if I was going to be gone tomorrow, Peter says, I know my life is coming to an end. He said, you can trust God's Word. Amen. You can put your faith in God's Word. Amen. And... It's laughable. Most of the agnostics, atheists, people that get up on TV or YouTube and try to blast Scripture and everything, the reason why they do it, and this I mean this in, in a polite way, is the reality of their ignorance. Not because they're dumb, because they simply do not know. And there are, I have so many books on my shelf of people uh, one of the most famous, probably, atheists is Lee Strobel, who set out to disprove Scripture and disprove it. He set out on a journalistic investigation. He thought, these people are ridiculous and they're laughable. Why does anybody believe this? He set out to document and write down all these things. And by the time he got done with the prep for his book, he converted to Christianity because he said, there is more evidences, and I did not know it. Yeah. And the world and our education system has done an excellent job today of hiding stuff that is readily available. Yeah. And, and so you can trust Scripture. So this is very, very important. Everybody say praise the Lord. Praise All right, go to Genesis chapter number 4. Genesis chapter number 4. Do you have a microphone? All right. <clears throat> And uh, we're going to read through Genesis chapter 4. Everybody have your Bibles? Or your iPhone, or you look at the screen. But anyways, I want to make sure that you know that I'm not making this up. <coughs> All right, so we come to Genesis chapter 4, and, and we just came out. It's been a few weeks since we talked about it, but in Genesis chapter 3, we talked about the first mention of sin. And then out of that... Uh, talked about the fall of garden and what God did, how he clothed Adam and Eve, he sent them out of Eden, and then uh, now we come to Genesis chapter 4. What we're going to see in Genesis chapter 4 is we are going to see the immediate effects of sin. We've already seen that when God told them that I'm going to curse the ground and you're going to have increased 
sorrow in, in childbearing, he told to Eve. But now we see the immediate effects of sin come down, and it's going to play out, ironically enough, in the family between two brothers. And so sin comes down. But not only is that what Genesis chapter 4 is showing us, but the, the goal of chapter 4 is it is also showing us how humanity itself becomes divided into two groups between the ungodly and those that call upon the Lord, those that are reaching after God. So now sin has come, and now the Bible is showing us how humanity immediately falls into this. There's an interesting dynamics here. So Brother Ryan's going to read for us, and we're going to begin and uh, just go through Scripture here tonight, and I'm only going to be about 20 minutes more. So we'll see how far we can get. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. Go ahead and read. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Okay, so let's pause there. Um, this is one reason why I love the King James Version. Now, it is, it is uh, more archaic in its presentation now. It's, it's not a common vernacular that we speak in our everyday language, so there is cause sometimes for people to have misunderstanding or ask questions. But the Bible says Adam knew Eve, his wife. Um, this literally means that he knew her in an intimate sense. There was, uh, 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 and that is not just that, oh, hey, I know you, but it was a husband and a wife relationship, a sexual relationship. He knew her. There was nothing that was restrained. They became one flesh as God had commanded and in the Hebrew, some other translations try to do difference, but the best translation for us in our common language today that isn't too offensive is Adam knew Eve, his wife. There was this relationship, this coming together. Why that's so powerful is because we talked about this in chapter 3, that when sin came in, Adam blamed Eve, and then Eve blamed the serpent, and now he calls her which instead of before it talked, it just names her as woman. He gave her a name, Eve. You are the mother of, a live, of, of all living. And Adam literally spoke life into his wife. And he said, we are going to continue. Even though devastation has come, we are going to be obedient to what God said. And we're going to go forward in the midst of this. So you see this disposition between Adam and Eve that we are going to continue. We are going to serve God according to what God has given to us. And they bear a son. His name's Cain. And Eve says, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And so she is identifying, and I preached about that a few Sundays, oh, I don't know, a couple months ago about speaking life, where Eve is saying, this is what God has done through us. In spite of sin, God has still done this. This is a powerful message of hope really here that we should be encouraged by. But what I want to highlight here is the word man. Everybody say man. man. Now, there's no other way to read this verse and, and not walk away from reading this verse and thinking that Adam knew his wife in the literal sense, and they had a man-child. This is, this is reading the Bible 101, right? Does everybody see that? Right? Makes perfect sense. And the reason why I bring that up is because there is a serpent seed doctrine that says that 
Cain, because, because chapter 4 goes into a division of humanity where we have the ungodly and then we have those that call upon the Lord, there is a doctrine. In fact, I was on YouTube today and I was just pulling something up and there was a pastor sitting in his office just teaching this plainest day and all getting likes and everybody giving them thumbs up that says that Cain was not Adam's, but that Cain was some kind of product of Eve and some kind of perverted relationships that she had with the serpent. And so they preach that serpent seed and that Cain, that chapter 4 is given the lineage of Cain and he is of the devil and, that, and they twist the scripture and they get to the New Testament when Jesus talks to them and says, you brood of vipers, he's really identifying that they were not of the lineage of Adam, but they were really children of the serpent. And people get in wacky, wacky doctrine. So what I want to tell you as pastor is you don't need to know Greek and Hebrew to be able to read the words and to look at that and realize Adam knew Eve and they had a child. There you go. All right. So let's keep the strange doctrines out of the church and let's just let the word speak for itself. And everybody said amen. Amen. Folks, you can't get good teaching like this everywhere. I mean, this is deep tonight. (coughs) We laugh, but it really is is sad how many times people can twist Scripture and they go to other. He was flipping the New Testament. i got to show you what Jesus said here in Matthew and what he said in John and all this stuff. By the time you get done, you're thinking, my goodness. And he even goes so far. The preacher went so far to say, you know, if you're trying to trick, if you're trying to convert somebody that's really the son of Satan, you're never going to convert them. And I thought, man, how hopeless that is. Right. And, and, and he had me for a moment. He didn't have me for a moment, but I'm just pretending. Like I was going along with him. I was like, okay, let's see what he has to say. And then you go back and you read Genesis chapter 4 and 1, and you think, man, how far off can people go from just reading Scripture? Okay, read verse 2. And she again bare his brother Abel. Okay, do I need to explain that? <laughs> All right, let's go, read. <laughs> and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Okay, so let's pause here. This is, just, this is just an asterisk. So if you're writing notes or you're keeping notes, this is just an asterisk for you to look at. Abel, so they have, they have two children, Cain and Abel. Now they have more children, but this is highlighting the story of what happened with Cain and Abel. And so... We see this. Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain was a tiller of ground. Now, so Cain is doing what his dad does. He has to work the ground. He's not doing anything wrong. But Abel is a keeper of sheep. Now, here we have, we're not very far out of the garden. And here we have the story of Abel being a shepherd. Now, why is that significant? Because sheep prove creation. Why is that? Because sheep do not exist without a shepherd. Sheep will die. If you leave sheep alone on the wild, they will die. They have no defense mechanism. They can't be protected. They will wander off. The only way, and this has been proven, studies have been written about it. You can Google it. You can figure this out throughout all antiquity, one of the oldest things that we see throughout all antiquity, all existence of humanity, is that man has always kept sheep. 
And the reason that sheep still exist is because man has kept them. Otherwise, if sheep were left to their own device, if sheep were left to their own evolutionary process, they would have been extinct way before the dinosaurs. So there has to be another explanation. So sheep are actually a really cool thing. And here we have at the very beginning of civilization and humanity, we see somebody keeping sheep. Okay, read on. And in process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. Mm -hmm. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering, he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth and his countenance fell. Okay, so here we have this scene now. We have two sons, Cain and Abel. And Cain is keeper of the ground, farmer. And Abel's a shepherd. So we have farmer and shepherd. Herdsman versus the, the agriculture. And uh, I love in verse 3 it says, and in process of time it came to pass. The Bible doesn't tell us everything there is to know. But it tells us everything we need to know. I want you to keep remembering that. I'll keep saying that. And sometimes... This, this object here is to tell the story of sin and how it comes in, and so it's setting this up. It doesn't tell us everything. In the process of time. We don't know how long that process of time was, but I guarantee you this, it was long enough that there was a community or a world, a community of people that existed by time this narrative continues. So we don't know how long that is. So it's going throughout the process of time, and in the process of time, we see them bringing an offering to God to worship. We don't know if that was in a central location. We don't know if everybody was doing that all at the place at the same time. But it seems like there's a scene where two brothers are bringing an offering before the Lord. And <coughs> we know that the offering of Abel, God had respect for, but the offering of Cain, he did not have respect for. Now, some have argued and said, well, that's because Abel brought a sacrifice and there had to be shedding of blood and Cain brought fruit, vegetation. There's no shedding of blood. But you have to remember, at this point, the shedding of blood had not been instituted. That had not come until later. Now, there were times where we would see sacrifice. Noah would offer a sacrifice after the flood, after the ark rested. He would take and he would sacrifice. Abraham would do sacrifices. But at this time, we don't have anything that tells us it's been instituted. Now, we know that God sacrificed to clothe Adam and Eve, but we don't see that continual. And it doesn't use the word sacrifice. It uses the word offering. So Cain and Abel are bringing an offering to God. And someone says, well, Cain's bringing vegetation, and, he, and that's a bloodless sacrifice. But if you actually go to the law, even in the Mosaic law, God permitted that there would be offerings of, of the ground, the grain offering and other things. And those offerings were not necessarily needed to be first fruit offerings, even though it does say he brought of his, he brought of his, uh, 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 the fruit of the ground, but Abel it does seem to put a little bit of emphasis. Abel brought the first, first fruits, and he brought the fat. What does it say here? And here he brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. So it implies that he's, he's bringing the best that he can bring. But, but for us 
to be careful and not read too much into this, I want us to highlight that the focus of this was not necessarily the thing that they brought, but the real thing that is highlighted here is the matter of the heart that was bringing the offering. And it says of what was brought, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. Cain is angry. He's upset. The reason why he's upset is because God did not have respect for his offering. Now, I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us here. How did that offering come? Did they bring the offering and lay it down? Did fire come out of heaven and consume it? I don't know. I don't want to speculate. I don't want to add there. But here's one thing I do know, that there was an issue with the heart. Cain is angry. He's mad. He's upset because God is not receiving it. And what does God do? Go on and read the next verse. And the verse Lord six. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? So here God is. And God reaches out to Cain. Cain is the one that's wrong. Cain is the one that's not giving his best. Cain is the one whose heart is wrong. Cain is the one who is, what one commentator said, that Cain was more concerned about what he wanted to give God rather than what God required. Cain was just doing what he could to get by, and now he's upset that God's not taking it, and instead of Cain reaching out to God to make the situation right, God, in his love, reaches out to Cain. It says, Cain, what's wrong? I'm going to tell you, God talks to sinners. God doesn't just talk to those who love Him. God reaches for those that will fight against Him. That is the grace and the mercy of God. I don't know about you, but I could stop right there tonight, and I find hope. Because has your heart ever been wrong before God? Let's be careful before we point fingers and we start throwing Cain under the bus. And we forget that we are flesh also. Has your heart ever been wrong before God? Have you ever been mad at God? Please don't raise your hand. Have you ever been upset? So much so that your countenance has fallen? Yes. You come in, sit there, God, I'm upset. God, I'm mad. What does God do? God shows up and says, hey, what's going on? It's like that annoying parent when the child would just rather sit there and be mad. Have you ever done that? It's all the parents in here. Has your child ever been so mad that they just wanted to be mad? They didn't want you to make anything right. They wanted to be mad. They wanted to be upset. All right, so some of the parents are shaking their head. All of us have been guilty at one time of being a child who wanted to be mad. And you're not, it doesn't matter what you say or what you do, don't, don't come and make this right. I'm still wanting to be mad over here. But God shows up and God says, what's, what's going wrong? Why is your countenance fallen? 
He's calling him out. He's pulling him out of him. What is going on in your life? God is reaching for him. He's trying to give him an opportunity for him to be able to express his frustration. I'm going to tell you, God is big enough to handle your anger and your misunderstanding. Can I say that again? God is big enough to handle our anger and our misunderstandings. Life is hard. Life is tough. And you go through things. God, this isn't fair. Why did this happen to me? I'm going to say God is big enough that you can go to him and say, God, this isn't fair. And I don't understand. And so he tries to reach out to Cain, but Cain in his bitterness had refused. He did not, he was not going to let God make it right. And so God goes on, read. If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? (coughs) And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. So here God's talking to Cain and saying, Cain, if you do well, if you have a right spirit and a right heart, your offering is going to be accepted. But if you do not, sin lieth at the door. Sin is waiting. And and there's some dispute here over what he's talking about. Some say, well, he was referring to the the sin sacrifice, and and he's saying sin lieth at the door, that there's a lamb, there's, there's a sheep that's right there within the taking, and you've got to take it, and it's waiting for you. But I think probably the best interpretation here of what God is addressing in the context here of matter of the heart is he says, if your heart's not right, sin is lying at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. He, he's using this same language when he goes back to Eve, and he says to Eve that your desire is going to be of your husband. He's talking about there's going to be something that's going to try to dominate you. And what I think... God is getting at here is he's letting Cain know that Cain unrepentance commits you to rebellion. Unrepentance commits you to rebellion. If you refuse to allow this to be worked out before us, between you and God, if you refuse, sin lieth at the door and it is waiting to overtake you. You will be locked into this measure of rebellion. That is unrepentance. Wow, unrepentance is so profound. The effects that it has on you. I'm going to talk about this. He says his countenance fell. You want to talk about uh, uh, sickness affecting you. You know what will affect you? Sin. will affect your body. It will affect even your countenance. I have seen sin enter into people's lives. And when when sin is done with them, they have age. There is so much heaviness what sin can do to you. I'm going to tell you, when you get the Holy Ghost in the New Testament, there was something different. There was always a reference to the countenance of their face of what's going on. If you are a child of God, now if you got COVID, I think God makes an exception for that time until you're getting through COVID. But you understand what I'm saying? When you have been born again, there ought to be a life and energy that comes. It doesn't matter your age. You can be old and still have the joy of youth, the peace of youth. 
that's inside of your heart. Somebody praise God. Clap your hands unto the Lord. I thank God for that. But unrepentance commits you to rebellion. Now, here's another interesting thing. We're talking about the first humans. And here he said, sin lieth at the door. Which means that the first humans may have not been cavemen like we thought. Maybe the first humans actually had a dwelling place to live in. See, the Bible teaches that humanity was created by God and it was the highest form of creation. That humanity was actually very smart, very advanced, and as we have gone, the Bible shows and teaches that genetics has actually, we are actually getting weaker and less than what God actually created. Evolutionary science actually teaches the direct opposite of that. That man was dumb and he's getting smarter and smarter and smarter. Except there are all of these testimonies of antiquity and ancient humanity that testifies that maybe they had things, modern things, that we can't even figure out today. And yet we don't know how they did that and how they accomplished all that. That's another story for another day and another time. But I just thought that I would highlight that. All right. Read on. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain. Okay, so do I need to explain verse 8? Cain killed Abel. Murder. Right. Okay? Remember, unrepentance commits you to rebellion. And this is the first shedding of blood, the first taking of life that's taken place in the history of humanity as recorded by the Scripture here. And (coughs) we see how far Cain is gone that now he would take the life of his own brother. And I think the principle is very plain here that sin will take you farther than you want to go. Nobody sets out to say, oh, I just I, I set out to do this, be a mass murderer. But it starts out, and it goes farther and farther and farther and farther and farther and farther. And here's the thing where we've got to be careful that we would look at someone anywhere in the world and think, oh, they're beyond the grace of God. They're a product of sin. But for the grace of God, there go I. Yeah, right. I thank God for His grace in my life. Thank God for His mercy in my life. Where would you be tonight if you hadn't turned your life over to the Lord? Where would sin have taken you tonight? What would you have done? What would you have accomplished? So I'm going to tell you, with that in mind, and this is what Scripture is teaching us, what it's showing us, we cannot think of ourselves higher than someone else. Because we are only who we are because of the blood of Jesus Christ, because of the grace and the mercy of God. And the church must understand this 101 more than anything else. This ought to be the safest place for the sinner to run into that is looking to repent. Now, I'm not talking about the the unrepentant sinner. 
unrepentant sinner, they're on their way to, to murder and everything else. We don't just, I mean, if you want to come in and repent, you're welcome. Whosoever will, let him come and drink of the waters of life freely. If you want to change, you're welcome. But if you don't want to change, well, then we're probably going to put some fences up yeah. to protect the innocent. Mm -hmm. right. But the church should be the safest place yeah. Yeah. for any sinner yeah. looking yeah. for salvation. Yeah. I don't need to condemn anybody when they come into the house of God. Doesn't matter what their lifestyle is, doesn't matter how far they are. I don't have to condemn them. They're condemned already. <laughs> but what do I do? I show them the love and the grace of God. And had it not been for the blessing of the Lord in my life, who knows where I would be? Who knows where I would be? So we see murder takes it so far, and then he goes, You say, Well, what's farther than murder? Well, look in the next verse. And the verse Lord, nine. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? So not only does he go to murder, now Cain is so ignorant and arrogant that he lies to God and shrugs off his created responsibility. Am I my brother's keeper? It's not, my, it's not mine to do. Well, actually, we do have a responsibility. That has already been established in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. We have a responsibility to creation, to this earth. We have a responsibility to creation. And we have a responsibility to one another because we know we are all made in the image of God. And so now Cain goes from not only unrepented sin, but to murder, to lying to God. And now he is defying. He is defying what God has done. This is rebellion at its height. And I know we can read through this really quickly in just a few verses and not realize how far Cain has gone. And now we see the descending of humanity. And the rest of chapter 4 is going to give us the lineage of Cain, and we'll come back next week and we'll, we'll pick up here and we'll talk about the curse. Thankfully, finally, Cain does acknowledge his sin in a measure. He does not repent of it. This is the shame. This is, this is the, the, the heartbreak, I would say. Cain finally acknowledges sin, but when he acknowledges it, he doesn't repent of it. And he continues in ungodliness. And this is where sin comes into the world. We're going to see a lot of things. And then we're going to see a reset through Seth and how all that plays out. But sin, uh, as we see here in chapter 4, the immediate effects of sin, the Bible is teaching us that what has gone wrong in the world is the result of sin. It is the result of sin. And sin is rebellion against God. And at the end of chapter 4, it said, in those days, then, then man began to call upon the Lord. And it got to a place to where humanity finally begins to call upon God to intervene on their behalf. And God, of course, answers, and He comes down and He deals with them. But this is so paramount. Now, we live in a secular world, and I, I close with this, so stand together with me tonight. We live in a secular world, and here's the danger 
when we spend more time and allow the world to influence our thinking more than the Word of God, is we start thinking that the problems of this world are something other than sin, and we start interjecting the solutions to those problems as anything other than a return to God. The Bible is bold in its declaration. We're going to come back next week. We'll look the first, not only the first murder, we're going to see the first, uh, uh, the first uh, uh, polygamy enters in. And then from there, the murders get more bold. And they come in. So perversion and all that stuff enters in because of the results of sin. And what we do today, and we'll see this in the judgment that God gives to Cain, there were no governments. And so he can't punish him in a, in a judgment in, in some kind of a governmental type way. But he just leaves him to nature. He said, you're going to be a vagabond and the earth is not going to respond to you anymore. All because of sin. Cain acknowledges his sin, but he doesn't repent of his sin. How different the story could have been for his lineage if he just would have repented. But there was no repentance until Seth. And Seth comes in, Adam and Eve, they, they give up hope and they, they don't even, they write, they write Cain off, literally. He, this, is not what we, this was not the hope. This was not the hope that God gave us in the garden when it said, he's going to bruise the serpent's head. Cain is not it. He's gone steeped into ungodliness. And the trajectory of Cain's lineage, I'm going to tell you, it is so powerful how you live in this life. You, your decisions today, if the Lord tarries, your decisions today are affecting generations. Brother Philip, I am a product of decisions that were made 90 years ago, 80 years ago, 70 years ago. The people that walked out of sins that were so gross, I wouldn't even tell you. Records, everything, all that stuff, and God brought them out. And by the time I come into the church, I don't, I've never been exposed to it. I grew up in a home, no alcohol, no drugs, Brother Chuck. No cigarette. I, it was never even around that stuff. Now, I look back now in my life, and I had access to that stuff probably closer than I realized. But that was never in my home growing up. Do you know how much of an advantage that gives me? I am here today only because of the grace of God. It was not, I'm going to tell you this, it was not education. I'm not speaking against education. It was not money. I'm not speaking against being wise with your money. It was not who they knew. God literally saved them out of the gutters. They didn't have nothing. That's the power of the blessing of the Lord in your life. So you can be, you can be uneducated and you can be poor. And the power of the word of God, when you give your life to God, is that it can revolutionize and change things. I give God all the praise and all the glory. I would not trade one thing. That's why the songwriters would sing silver and gold. 
I'd rather have Jesus. I'd rather have Jesus. I'd rather have Jesus. Come on, is anybody thankful tonight for the hope of Christ? Thankful that when I'm mad and I'm angry, that he reaches out to me and says, hey, you got to fix some things in your life. Come on, God's reaching to somebody today. Can we lift our hands? Can we lift our hands all across this house? God, I thank you tonight. Lord, I thank you tonight. God, I thank you for your grace, and I thank you for your love that reaches, God. I thank you for your mercy. Lord, I pray everyone under the sound of my voice, God, that we would be repentant, that we would be open, that we would be humble before you today. Let the blessing of the Holy Ghost fall in every home and every household. In the name of Jesus, God, I thank you for all the material things you've given us, God. But I'd rather have you than anything else in this world. And I bless you tonight. Oh, Come on, somebody thank the Lord tonight. I thank you, Lord, tonight. I thank you, Lord, tonight. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. And the church said amen. amen. Let the church say amen. Amen, 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 amen. And I'm going to tell you, this is the irony of the blessing of the Lord, that when you do come in, God has given us, my wife and I, we were talking the other day about, man, in our 18 years of marriage, we have seen more things, experienced more things, traveled the world, and we've done it not being rich, all because of the blessing of the Lord and the church. I'm going to tell you, the church is the richest place that you could ever live. Amen, amen, amen. Are you encouraged tonight? I'm encouraged tonight. I'm encouraged tonight. Amen. The devil is a liar. And I speak against every doubt and depression. I know life is real. We have sickness and stuff that comes on us. But don't let your joy be taken. Don't let the devil steal your joy. God is good. God is good. Thank you for being at the house of the Lord tonight. I'm looking forward to Sunday. It is Sunday. Come out. Even if you don't have any kids, it's going to be awesome. Our kids' program is going to be fun. It's going to be a great time. It's a good time to invite somebody. Our Sunday school session, 945, be here. You won't want to miss that. We'll have some more testimonies, and God's going to bless. God bless you. Thank you for being here. I love you all. Let's remember to pray for Sister Fireball, Sister Blake, as well as others. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name. Go in the fear and grace of God. <laughs>